Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Metzian Podcast with Sam Rich and Mike. This is Rich Barago, known on Twitter as MetFanRich and CT Mets Fan. And I'm more than happy to have both of my co-conspirators on with me tonight as we talk about just another ho-hum day in Metsville. It's not like anything happened today. And, of course, you know that that's dripping with sarcasm because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of weird stuff that happened today. And so I see no point in belaboring the opening. I'm going to bring my co-conspirators on right here. Um, first, I'll go to the man, the myth, the legend, the man we call the CEO, the CFO, and the grand poopah of the uh, Metzian podcast <laughs> with Sam, Rich, and Mike. And that is the, none other than Mr. Sam Maxwell. So, Sam, I'll ask you the same two questions I ask you every week. How are you and where are you? I am uh, currently up. Date. I am enjoying some of the uh, the nature up here, which is exactly a, a good time to do so and not have both the Mets and New York City traffic uh, to stress me out. Um, and I'm not sure if you want to throw the 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 uh, the, the S my way, uh, <laughs> which sounds like it could be it could mean many many things. But let's not go with the CFO yet. Uh, let me. I, I got to be the CFO of myself first. There you go. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. And to join us in the fun, we have our third member of, of the uh, triumvirate of Sam Rich and Mike, Mr. Mike LeCollant. Mike, uh, generally we know where you are, and that would be in the wonderful borough of Brooklyn. I'm going to assume that's the case this evening. And how are you? That is correct. I'm doing well. And, you know, truth be told, we had already put ourselves in a rage about, I don't know, seven minutes ago. So let's jump in with both feet. Let's do so. I like it, Mike. Um, all right. So as I quipped in the opener, um, you know, just another ho-hum day in Metsville, and it certainly was not. Um, so a couple things. Let's start with uh, almost chronologically what happened. Um, today, the, you know, the Mets announced a trade, and we'll probably talk about that last, the, the acquisition of Billy Hamilton for Jordan Humphreys, a guy um, – who was a high-round draft pick a couple of years ago, missed a couple of seasons with Tommy John, and everybody's screaming, how can you trade a young live arm like that for Billy Hamilton? Okay, we'll get to that at some point. The Mets, uh, going slightly out of chronological order, the Mets proceed to lose their fifth game in a row, this time to the Atlanta Braves, three in a row to the Braves. They go one for 15 with runners in scoring position. Um, I've been a fan of this team for coming up on, oh, God, you know, 45 years at this point. They look as dreadful offensively as they ever have, uh, so that's there. But let's start here. Let's start with the big one. Um, so today, the Mets did not have Yohannes Cespedes, and the team made an announcement early in the game that he was not at the ballpark and that they didn't know where he was, and that was that. Okay. So now, uh, myself included, I think most people are saying we hope he's physically okay because it's unlike anybody. No one knows where he is. No one knows if he's okay. They haven't heard from him. 
that they said and, and attempts to reach him were unsuccessful. So obviously concern goes up. Middle of the game, we hear that, well, the Mets have reason to believe that Cespedes' personal safety is not in question. Okay. Don't know how you know that if you haven't talked to him, but okay. And we kind of watch the Mets go, you know, flailing away and go down feebly to, to the Braves. Then immediately after the game, Brody comes on and he says that Cespedes has opted out. Um, that everything we heard was true, that they didn't know where he was, he never showed up at the ballpark, and that um, as the game went along, they had security go into his room and saw that he had packed up and left, which indicated that you know he probably was physically okay. And then they heard from his agent, just uh, or very late in the game, from what Brody said to be precise, very late in the game they heard from Cespedes' agent that he in fact had opted out for COVID-19. Final piece of the puzzle comes out, it really started with Mike Puma's question to Brody, where Brody said, were there contract discussions between you and Cespedes and Louie and Cespedes? And Brody said, well, you know, we, we talked to everybody, you made some, you know, general comment. But that was the first sign that maybe there's more here than meets the eye. Yes, he opted out for COVID-19. That's the official reason, and he has a right to do that. But that was the first sign that maybe there's something more here. And so, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Um, it's a lot to peel back with Cespedes. I just wanted to lay out, without opinion, I just wanted to lay out the facts as, as I know them. And I am not going to set you up. I'm going to ask you to speak about Cespedes and what happened today. Well, you know what? I'll preface everything. And, and, and allow me to speak on your behalf as well, Rich and Sam. It's okay to engage in speculation. At no point do I think anybody here is writing anything in stone. So, you know, we're, we're not investigators, we're not reporters. But like I say, it's okay and perhaps a little fun to engage in speculation. I don't know. You know, first of all, if this is indeed, you, you got to look at everything. You know, at the end of the day, this was the, a divorce, and that's all I care about. Relationships usually don't end well, uh, if this is indeed about COVID, I respect that. Uh, but then, you know, there's how they say this version, that version, and then the truth. We don't know which. But we do know that after Johannes Cespedes' surgeries on his respective heels, both feet, he re-injured himself again. And, and the Mets subsequently punished him financially. So that probably soured their relationship as far back as then. And now with all the rumor and scuttlebutt that he was unhappy with his place in the order, money, uh, and I guess the whole situation, uh, the whole, you know, the whole shebang, uh, he made a last-minute decision and decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, I think, what's the figure? He was only set $2 million this year, uh, and that's after being penalized in the prorated salaries for the condensed 2020 season. Uh, he was not realistically going to meet those incentives that would have elevated his uh, his financial return. So, there's a lot of scuttlebutt to work with here. 
you know, uh, it's really all I can say. It's a, it's a really, it's a really, uh, really weird situation. Uh, as a teammate and as a professional, the other guys on the roster deserve better. That much, I'll, I'll stand by every day. That as a professional. And as a baseball player and as a friend to some of those people in the locker room and things of that nature, and to a man, his teammates deserve better. Uh, But then again, I'm not aware of his relationships with other people and how, you know, they flow together. So, again, just engaging in speculation, and that's all I got, Rich. No, and I think that's all anybody has at this point. So, Sam... I'm going to do the same with you. No comment from me. Just go with it. Let it flow. Well, I'm not about to burn the jersey. It, it's, <clears throat> it's very disappointing. It certainly tarnishes how much I appreciated him as an athlete, for sure, um, because of everything Mike just said outside of the truth, outside of, of knowing exactly what happened. Um, the optics are not good. And, uh, you know, it it is ironic that Brody, you know, you'd think that he would have some sort of connection. You'd think that there would be some sort of personal feeling. But we don't know. We don't know, Ioannis. And Ioannis, excuse me. And, and, I mean, the thing is, like, every time that there will always be these rumors about the way he is in the clubhouse, the, the idea that, that he's a little bit toxic, that he's a little bit selfish, that, that he, he's not a team player, and that he's only motivated by the money. I always had an issue with that part, especially considering that he came over in a raft. Um, but, of course, people change and, and motivations alter, and you never know what it's like. But I always noticed that with the teammates, and even like on, on uh, the first recently, on the first day, opening day when he hit the home run uh, and they asked DeGrom about it, Jacob had this big smile on his face and said he was joking with him and, and told him earlier, why don't you hit one for me? So all this, like, like there's something, it, it's like you said, Mike, there's somewhere in the middle lies the truth because whether it's David Wright, whether it's Jacob DeGrom, whether it was Curtis Granderson, everybody seemed to talk highly of Ioannis Cespedes from just the way he interacted with the ball club but he hasn't been with the ball club in a long time. And, you know, if it is COVID, that's great. But we, we, we've seen, there's been the rumors. We've seen some, some of this before. Of course, there's the playing golf every day, maybe injuring himself during golf. So it's, it's just real. It's really, it's really sad. And it is ironic that Brody started this whole thing from a contractual standpoint. It is now on the, opposite end having to be like what are you talking about so it's it's surreal and it's not the way us met fans wanted the the cinderella story to to end with him coming over to the Mets. uh but it is what it is the legacy will be what it will be and we'll try to soak up the good times because they were pretty amazing They were. They were. And, 
you know, and I, I actually, you know, I'm with Mesmerized Online, and I wrote a piece on this on, on Friday because it was five years ago Friday that they got Cespedes. And so as I wrote the piece, you know, and you, you remind yourself as you research it, you remind yourself what he did in, you know, 50, I believe it was 58 games in 2015, 17 home runs, an OPS of 942, which is off the charts, and an OPS plus which is normalized to 100, he came out with an OPS plus like 155, which is like crazy what he did. You know, he, he took that team to the playoffs, and, and even though he missed some of 16 hurt, he did similar things in 16. Um, and then and after 15, oh, you know, it was a rental. He's going somewhere else. Well, you remember the Nationals chased him down, and he held out for the Mets. He wanted to come back, came back on a one-year deal. After 16, he opted out, you know, one year with an opt-out, and, of course, he opted out in 16. Everybody's like, oh, no, he's going somewhere else. Mets are too cheap, blah, 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 blah. Well, what do the Mets do? They, they give him a four-year contract. And it's like, wow, you know, the Mets really want to win. This guy's amazing. Well, you know what? Think of another four-year contract where this is what you've gotten from the guy. You got exactly half the season in 17. I think he played 82 games. Then in, in 18, he played one game, as we know. And then in 19, he played no games. And now this year, he played seven I mean, or, or no, nine. Um, can you believe and, that? And just, a four-year just really quick, to, to, cut, to cut you off, too, it, he was coming around, too. Like, like both him and, and Cano, especially on Friday night, they looked really good. And it's just it's out of the blue, and, and, it's, and it's just what we talked about, how he's not a team player. Uh, we talked a little bit off air. It's just it's sad. It really is sad because, you know, it, it seemed like he was going – it had been two years since he last played. Of course he's going to have a 185 batting average at first, but you saw glimpses. Excuse me. You saw glimpses. It's just it's unfortunate. Well, he provided the only run on opening day, or they'd be, or they'd be 2-8 and eight instead of 3-7. and seven. You know? I mean, but, you know, but, but he looked, his bat looked slow. His pitch selection looked bad. But then again, like you just said, Sam, these are things that probably any player, anybody who missed two seasons would go through the same thing your bat would be a little slow, and, and your pitch selection, your pitch recognition would be off, and that's what he was going through. Um, now, what would have happened the rest of this short season? Who the hell knows? I mean, who the hell knows gonna happen if they were going to finish this season? I want to talk about that later. But, um, okay, so I've gotten your initial comments, and I'm not done with Cespedes, but we do have a caller, and we like to bring our callers on. So um, we have a caller from a 516 number. Caller, if you could tell us uh, your first name and what you'd like to talk about. Hey, guys, it's Jeff Cohn from Baseball and Barbecue. How are you? Hey, hey how Jeff. Are you? How are you? Hey, Jeff. Uh, hey, I, I, actually, I really wanted to call in because of uh, the bullpen situation, what happened over over the weekend, but I guess that's just really uh, is, is the headline right now. We'll get to the bullpen. Give us your chef for the slots, and we'll keep you on. We'll have you go around with us. Well, I, I think it, it was just really – I think Todd Zeal – Set of bets on the post game, a classless move. I mean, you know, I, if, he's, if it's really concerned about COVID and stuff, obviously his health is, is, is prominent. But uh, really, don't think that was it. I think he was just frustrated, and you know, he wasn't going to make meet his incentive. And the way he did it, without you know, upping and leaving without telling his, his, his employer, was just a you know, BS move. And that's that. You know. No, it's true. No, it's true. And Mike, I want to go to you next on that. We talked about it, you know, about it, what happened. But now I'd like you to comment on this. I'm, I'm going to go Mike to Sam to Jeff. You know, the, the, Mets, the Mets have 
don't need a lot of help in looking bad. Let's face it. You know, they, they, they know how to stick their foot in their mouth. They know how to do stupid things. But I have to say, my opinion on this one is, I think Brody did the right thing. I think the way they handled it today, we were saying this off air, that they did have to say what they said early, that, hey, look, the guy's not here, and we don't know where he is. Because if, the, if a situation came up early in the game, where or the middle of the game, where everybody would be screaming, you Cespedes, you Cespedes, and then they don't, they're going to have to answer that question later. Why didn't you Cespedes? He wasn't here. We don't know where he is. Why didn't you say that before? So they ha- it's a no-win situation, and I think if you have to pick the lesser of two evils, I think they handled it right. Be up front. And, yes, it caused a lot of people, myself included, it caused a lot of people a lot of angst. I was worried about the man, worried about him as a human being. But, but that was okay because even the Mets were worried about him as a human being. And then as the story continued to unfold, you know, the whole thing about we're not concerned about his personal safety. So now you kind of you know, came off your ledge a little bit, and you just became sort of like, oh, okay, well – you know, let, let's see how this plays out, what exactly happened. And then you start seeing the speculation that he opted out, which like this eighth inning I started seeing that on Twitter. So, Mike, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I've said my piece. I thought the Mets handled a bad situation the best they could. I think Cespedes put them in a bad situation, and I think they handled it as best they could. And, yes, you can hear the, the snarky questions after it for Brody that a lot of the reporters were intimating that they handled it badly. I don't agree. Mike, what do you think? I agree they needed to say something. I agree Brody was put in a somewhat compromised situation. On that note, I'll keep it quick because I think Sam has the best point uh, regarding this matter. I will say, you know, and it's hard to interpret tone on Twitter and social media, almost impossible sometimes. But some of the writing and the tone could have been delivered a little bit more delicately. Uh, You know, what else could he have said? That's up for discussion. That said, I will pass it to Sam because I think he brings up a great point. Go, Sam. Yeah, you know, it's... uh, Hold on. I'm sorry. I was a little... I was... I, I was looking at something on Twitter. Specifically, are you talking about the point about the fact that that according he to Brody, to say if, the facts are, exactly, and if the facts are straight, that what Brody's telling us uh, is that they at the time were worried when they initially let us know about it. They were they didn't know about his safety because he just vanished, and, and you have to say something. Uh, at that point, like we're saying, like like it's it's clear there'd be questions being asked. He's not in the dugout. He's not in the lineup. Um, and if if your concern is, and and first of all, I mean, in some fashion, it's kind of like going on to television and being like, Johannes, we, we're we're worried for your safety. We'd like you to, to please call us. Please uh, somehow let us know that you're okay. You know, and 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 it's just the right. It's the I think it's the right thing to do. I know there's some people in the moment just being like, why even panic us? Or add at that time that you were not worried about his safety. But it seems, based off of the initial report, uh, the initial statement, excuse me, as well as what Brody had to say afterwards, that they did, they weren't sure. And at that point, if you're not sure, you do have to keep in mind the idea in mind that he got into a car accident or somebody did something to ferret. There, there's all, there could be, I mean, you never know what life brings uh, uh, your way. 
but a, a, apparently, and you know, I, I and what I was looking at on Twitter was somebody said, and this is at Sam Brown. She asked, "Why is everybody brave when they they uh, opt out for COVID, but Seth this is made to be the villain?" And somebody responded, and it just kind of disappeared because that's what the, the timeline uh, updated. But somebody responded, "It's not what you do, but how you do it," and we we all learn that lesson. And that's the bottom line. If it was COVID concerns, and you were saying this off air, Mike, call your agent and just say, I, I, I'm, I, I can't take this right now. I'm done. I'm leaving. Let the Mets know. That's all it takes. That's all it took. And the way it went down, even if it was COVID concerns, you can't just this, – this is not the way it goes out. And here's where the rants start coming in, man. This is not what you do. I don't care. I, I don't care what's going on in your brain. I don't care what is up with your, your ego. It's the right thing to do to not only just call your bosses, but call the person who's responsible for you. The agent's responsible for you. And, 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 and the, the, you know, I, I was saying that Brody should, I'm hoping Brody gave the agent an earful. And in some, you know, in some ways, yes, he deserved to because you know what kind of client you have. So, you know, you have to make sure you're, you're, you know, on top of things. But at the same time, at least tell your agent. At least tell your agent so we can tell your boss something so we're not sitting there thinking you're dead. If I may, if I may, Sam, catch your breath. If I may, calling the agent was Rich's point, by the way. But, Sam, what I was trying to get out of you, extracting out of you, was you said, you know, Cespedes not in the lineup, Cespedes not in the dugout. Somebody was going to notice, and somebody was going to bring that up. That's what I really wanted you to clarify. But yeah. take it away, Rich. And, and we do have another caller online, by the way. Yeah, I, w- I will get to the caller in just a second. I wanted to give Jeff a, a chance to comment on, you know, is this another Mets bungling, or do you think that they actually handled it well? well what do you think, Jeff? Well, I, I think the, the media really thought it was a, a bungling or try to make it make it that way. I mean, I thought Brody was damned if he does and damned if he didn't. You know, he, he had to put out a statement. If he didn't, he would have been lambasted for not putting out a statement. So he had to do something. Uh, and and, and, Rich, and uh, Rich was uh, absolutely right. I mean, Sam was absolutely right. Uh, you know, you got to say something. I mean, the first thing I thought of, you know, oh, you know, I remember Daryl Kyle who, who, who died uh, in his hotel room? You know, nobody heard from him and they found him dead. I mean, you know, who knows? You know, now in the world of, of Twitter and Facebook, everything is, is immediately. But uh, that's the first thing I thought of. I I thought that, too. You know, and then also there's so much civil unrest. I know the city, I know the, the ballpark is not in Atlanta. I know it's in a suburb. But Atlanta has had a lot of civil unrest. And I that was my worry. My worry is that he was in a cab or something. And something bad happened, and, and I that that's where my head went. Um, but um, but you know, thank I mean again, thank goodness the man is okay. You know, it, he opted out. He opted out. Who the hell cares? And, you know, and he plays somewhere else next year. Fine, go be happy. Uh, I'm just happy the man is okay. You know, because I started to really really think about that, Daryl Kyle, like you said. I mean, are they going to open the hotel room door and see him laying there? I mean, you know, laying there unresponsive. It happened to Richie Ashburn. Now, granted, Richie Ashburn was a broadcaster probably in his 70s at the time, but that happened too. And, and you know, th- this kind of stuff happens, and, and you, you start to think about it, especially with, 
with the way the world is right now. You just don't know. Um, so I, I think they handled it. I, I look. I, I think there have been many times when Brody has been less than upfront, and I think you know he talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's a bit of a salesman, but at the same time, I think he handled this well. I think I believe him. I truly believe that he felt that you know what, this is an awful situation. I'm going to just err on the side of complete transparency. I'm going to say what it is. We don't know where the man is. He's not here, and we don't know where he is. And then when we knew that we didn't have reason to fear for his safety, we'll say that. And then, you know, maybe it was the eighth inning that they got the note from the uh, – or they heard from the agent. They didn't say it right then. They said it after the game. Okay, you know, 20 minutes later, big deal. But as much as we love to take the Mets' task, I don't think that this is a case when we can do that. Um, all right. Someone, someone so, I'm going to question this. You know, like I said, you didn't see Seth was in the dugout. Someone was going to say something, and and he was in, in an impossible position. You know, like you said, he he needs to be transparent right from the get go. Right, right. And I think sometimes, you know, <laughs> when people have the agenda that they think you're being dishonest with them because of past history. Um, then of course they look at it through that lens, and but but here he was. I think I really believe he was being honest, and it just didn't. It, and because it was such a weird set of circumstances, it just didn't look Rich. that way. But I think it really was. Yeah, Rich, I think it's one of the most genuine sounding Brody's ever been. Especially you know for somebody yeah. who is a lawyer, for somebody who who is is about saving face and, and making sure that you spin it as best as you can. He well, I, I'm I'm fairly certain that everything that went down happened the way it did. I think you're right. I I would agree. And before we bring Cespedes to a close, I'll just throw it open. Any more comments, guys? Any other aspect of this whole situation? Um, uh, let me and I'll. I, while I, I will. Say I'd that, like I'll, to. I, I'd like to uh, just mention that I and I saw something uh, again. I, I saw something on Twitter, but I, I don't know who had said it. But somebody said that it's indicative of the way that the Wilpons run this thing. And you know what? Unfortunately, uh, as nuanced as it can be, as much as we're giving Cespedes uh, crap for this, this does just all go back to what the entire first 10 games are, which is an indictment of how poorly run this franchise is. Yep. Don't disagree. All right, so, guys, anything else on Cespedes? And I'll throw out one last thing for you to consider. Um, Todd Zeal said it, and I, I agree with it. Luis Rojas. Um, Luis Rojas, he is a 38-year-old guy who, you know, rookie manager. Yes, he's, he's managed in the, in the Winter League and all that and in the minors, but rookie manager on this level. He is in a very difficult situation. Not only is the team losing, but he had to answer these questions after. Now, fortunately, Brody, you know, took the heat on the Cespedes thing, you know, but still, by the time Louie got to the mic, they still had questions for him about it, and the team is losing. You put that all together, 10 games into a season, and he also got the job under very bizarre circumstances, as we know. So let me ask you, and it's an open forum at this point, anything else on Cespedes, and do you have a comment on um, on the way Rojas has handled things. So anybody want to jump in? Rich, I'll, I will only say very simply the situation that Rojas was put into this afternoon, I blame uh, solely on the front office. Uh, they need to be better at uh, what, what what do they call crisis management. 
if you go through their history of crisis management, uh, it's always been that proverbial piano falling out of the sky. And they leave their manager uh, open, bare, exposed. Uh, and uh, I, we've seen this repeatedly, actually, with Callaway. We've seen it going all the way back to Randolph. Uh, and there's one common denominator there. I'm not talking GMs. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. Right. And, and I go back to what they did to Mickey in 2018 after Cespedes, of all people, hit the home run the night before, and then he didn't play on the Saturday. And it was like, why didn't he play? And then Mickey I'll – no, I, I could – I'm sitting in the same spot I was sitting when I was watching that. And I could still see Mickey's face on my TV. He looked like he was terrified. And he's like, um, well – you know, he has a problem with his ankles, and he may need surgery. And, and he didn't, that is not the spot for the manager to announce to the media that a player may need surgery. That's the GM. That is not a spot for the manager. And that was horrific. That was a, you, you know, you could like or dislike Mickey. That's not what we're talking about here. But doing that to that man was awful to make him, him answer those questions. He's not a doctor. He's not – He's not the GM who puts the roster together. That was awful. I mean, um, unless anybody um, has anything else on Cespedes and Rojas or Rojas. I'll only, right. I'll only so, say right. that uh, Rojas, this, in, this entire season is most likely going to be an incomplete. I, you know, if anybody is like, get rid of the manager. And obviously, a lot of things could change once there's a new regime in here one way or another. Uh, but I, I think that even though there have been some moments where you're like, oh, he's doing the same thing. That, that we've hated on before, I, I think right now, one way or another, you know, maybe if they turn it around, we'll, we'll be singing his praises. But right now, he is in just like a rock and a hard place, I guess. He is. I feel bad for him. I think he's great. I really, I, I didn't, I was a Beltron guy all the way. And when uh, the whole thing happened with Beltron, I thought they should have gone to a veteran manager. But how can you not like Louis Rojas? Um, so, all right, so, so we'll move off of Cespedes. We spent half an hour on Cespedes, which is probably right because it is a big deal. But let's move to uh, some more on-the-field matters. So the Mets are three and seven, guys. Um, I would not have predicted that. Um, I think they're a good team. I still do. I think they have a lot of talent on the team. Call me crazy. Uh, three and seven is not what I expected. And in Metsian fashion, they've gotten to three and seven in a way, and I know – there might be fans of other teams to say the same thing, but I'll say it in a way that only the Mets seem to be able to. Um, they were about to go two and zero. We know what happened. You know the Ozuna home run, and then the the disaster in the tenth. And then they spun around from there. Go to Boston. They look like they woke up. Great. They come back to City and they leave an army on base. Lose both games. What happened Friday night? And I know this season is asterisk and it's not normal and all that kind of thing. My blood pressure was as high Friday night as it's ever been watching a Mets game. I, the way they, they got that big lead and the way they let it just, just go, just they pissed it away. And, um, and then of all people, we all know who got the, the double to, you know, to put the, the Braves ahead, and I hate the Braves anyway. I've said that many times. I think if you're a Mets fan over 30, the team that has caused you the most pain in your life is not the Yankees, it's not the Phillies, it's the Braves, and losing to them just I can't take it. And um, so, and then they've left a small army on on base last night, and then again today. It has been not just losing; 
It's the kind of losing that will have you pounding your head against the wall. They were one for 15 today with runners in scoring position, and that one was an infield hit by Ahmed Rosario that didn't even drive in a run. So, uh, so Sam, I'll start with you here. Let's talk on the field. Let's Thanks. talk Mets record at three and seven. <laughs> How's it landing on you, and, and and what is your state of mind right now? Well, I actually just said, you know, uh, I was complaining about Jeff Wilpon just now in between talks uh, to somebody on text messages, and they responded, you know, what else is new? And I said, it's seriously horrendous. I feel bad forever has had to be under his purview over the years. And then I mentioned to the guy, um, and the urgency of this season just magnifies how poorly run it is right before, right, I said, right before they pass go and collect $2 billion. But that's the thing. That's why we're so upset right now. This is four games that they had in, in their grasp that they should have in the win column right now. And everything that's been wrong with this team and the way Jeff Wilpon operates it, and yes, you can put that in quote-unquote as the COO, which is the only person in the entire world who has that title, as far as I know, because it's generally the president of operations. Why wouldn't he want to be a president? I don't get it. Doesn't everybody want to be a president? So... Not only do you have that, but like you just said, Rich, you have all the left on base. You have LOB after LOB after LOB piling up in those games that you lose. And, of course, that's generally the case with games you lose. This is what bad teams do. They collect losses this way. But it's extra magnified because we don't have 162 games to figure this thing out. Right now, there's, we, we, I think this was just 10 games. I believe they're three and seven, which means that there's now 50 games left in this season for them to have what they usually do with their August and September swoon. It, it, like, and, and, and right now, they're having the same type of, of May and June they usually have, but to start a season that you only have 60 games to play. And, uh, it, and on, on the bright side, though, Edwin Diaz, looked good in a low-leverage situation, relatively speaking. I mean, he did – he, he was at the point that he could have been giving up another run, and he was able to induce the ground ball double play. That's progress. Let's throw that out there. There was a good sign a little bit today, but the reason why we don't hang our, uh, uh, you know, hats on that is because we know how quickly that can just disappear. We, we know how quickly it can be one step forward, two steps back. So it's – just extra frustrating because we know there's only 50 games left. You can't rest on the idea that you, you could finish in second place and still make the playoffs. And, 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 and of course, one of the reasons why they're looking so poorly is the at-bats that they're taking with runners in scoring position, which does include Pete Alonso. Uh, just if, for, for a segue once we're done with this specific broad rant about the, the game of play. Jeff, it's up to you. Broad rant about the play on the field for 10 games. Oh, my gosh. It was just, uh, it's just horrible. You know, I, I felt that game on Friday night felt like, uh, to me, when, when uh, Castillo dropped that ball against the Yankees. It was just such – I couldn't believe they let that go. I, it, was just, it was just unbelievable. And of course, it was Travis Darno who made it. Of course, it made sense. Uh, 
But I, I've been thinking about this since, since Friday night. It's that the bullpen, no matter who the manager is, no, no, no matter the names, it doesn't matter. The bullpen just can't get the job done. And it, the, the, the manager changes, the names change, uh, GMs change. The, 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 the bullpen doesn't. It just, it just stinks every year. And I come, I've come up with a proposal that, that will fix it. And I think they should piggyback starters, except for the Grom. Grom is great. You don't need anyone piggybacking. But you have two starters. You pitch, uh, I don't know, match four innings or five innings, and you put uh, the Waka for, for the rest of the game. This way you don't have to go to the bullpen, someone who, who can actually give you length. Going, the, going by person, pitcher after pitcher after pitcher, there's nothing. It, it's crazy. Every year it's the same thing. And uh, that's 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 my rant. That's the reason why I actually called it today. Uh, but it's the same thing over and over and over again. It doesn't stop. Mike, before I go to you to comment on general things, I, I'm going to throw this in, and I'm going to kind of set you up a little bit because you and I are so aligned on this point. So, so please feel free to run with whatever ails you about the Mets uh, in specific. But please do comment on the defense. Think about what started the Braves' comeback on Friday night. It was the drop ball by J.D. Davis. Now, yes, I know he had a two-run home run, and I know he can hit, and, I don't, and I'm not saying I don't like J.D. Davis, but the fact is defense, poor defense in baseball, people love to gloss it over and say it doesn't matter. The hell it doesn't. It does. So that opened the doors for the Braves. Look at last night's game. The balls that were dropping in front of Nimmo, I mean, you never know. You never know. Did he get a bad jump? All these kinds of things. But it seemed like a lot of balls with hang time were dropping in there. Look at Jeff McNeil today. What started the Braves rally when they got the first two runs? Jeff McNeil, ground ball the third, runners halfway down the line. I, I don't know why you don't run right at him. Uh, Keith, Keith tried to give him a pass saying it's an instinct play, but you know what? You've been playing this game since freaking Little League, dude. You, that's what you do when you have a runner halfway between the bases and it's not a force. You run right at him and make him commit. He threw home, and the guy could have had a cup of coffee before he got back to third base. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, Mike, rant, please, but please talk defense and, and, make, and make sure that I'm not the only one who thinks this way. <laughs> no, I'm in lockstep with you. I'll stick with defense, and then I'm going to jump on something else for a second. But uh, we've said for years this is a poorly constructed team. I, I, I speak for the both of us, Rich. Uh, we're sick and tired of the Mets playing people out of position and, and, and forcing, you know, round pegs and square holes. We're sick and we're sick and tired of that. Me personally, you know, poor fundamentals that starts at rookie level and short season level and A ball and A plus. You know, I mean, they're in the midst of destroying the minor leagues as we once knew it, but fundamentally speaking, all this needs to be taught in the minor leagues. I need a polished product when they get to flushing. And, and somewhere along the line, you know, that's stopped. And suddenly, it's bad enough that I'm 53 and I don't even understand the rules of baseball anymore. But these guys come through the farm and they don't even know the fundamentals of the game anymore. And then all of a sudden, shit hits the fan and here we have to spend the next two weeks practicing. We've been through it with Mickey. We've been through this before. You know, they did it with Ahmed Rosario. Oh, oh this happened, that happened. 
Now we're going to take them to the side and we're going to work. Why is this being done on this level? Why isn't this being taken care of down below where it should be? So to that point, Rich, you know I'm with you. Uh, Sabermetrics, be damned. Be damned. Give me pitching, good defense, and timely hitting any day of the week and take your statistical analysis and you know what you can do with it. Thank you. Now, let's try to make some sense of what ails the Mets. And I'll speak offensively. If we're going to do pitching, I'll gladly get into that because Jeff brings up a great point. It's in a disastrous state. There's individuals we can speak of, of like uh, Jacob DeGrom and, and David Peterson and Franklin uh, Killone uh, as a rookie in his debut. Nice stories, but staff-wide, disaster. Here's the ponderous thing about the Mets offense, Rich. And it's just that, ponderous. Except for today's game, over the first nine games, offensively speaking, they're middle to top tier. It's wacky. They're seventh in run scored. They're sixth in team OPS and sixth in home runs. That's middle tier. They're second in the National League in hits. They're fourth in the National League in total bases. And they're third in the National League in team average. But Rich, like you say, today they were one for 15 with runners in scoring position. The game before that, they were one for 10. That's two for 25. And I read back, and now this includes all 10 games. They are 19 for 94, which equates to a 202 batting average with runners in scoring position. That's crazy. Yet, you know, the, 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 statistics, the, the stats, they, they contradict each other. Middle to top tier in categories, but this runners in scoring position thing, now, on the one hand, it's an acute problem. It's an acute problem. But the problem is we're playing a 60-game season. Time is of the essence. We don't have time and games for these guys to work their way out of slumps. But, you know, then you look around the team and there's some, there's some good news there. You know, McNeil is where we want him to be. Uh, Nimmo has a fabulous on-base percentage. So there's good things to speak of, but this average runners in scoring position is ponderous. But we know, the four of us, and everyone listening, as baseball fans, the nature of baseball, this cannot last forever. It's just that we're in such a short season, and we're we're on the brink of one-fifth of the season being done. And, and, you know, we just don't have the, 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 the liberty of time to work themselves out of this. So, you know, unfortunately, some of this is going to fall on Luis Rojas. Do you, as in the playoffs, do you manage the way or do you stick to what got you there or do you manage differently and more urgently in a short series? That's what he's up against. So if this calls for more platooning, in the meantime, until people get their heads on straight and start heating up, then perhaps we need to do that. I'll leave it there. 
Rich, uh, before we, we move on to specifics regarding the on-field stuff, I just want to say uh, that before we went on air, there was an article published on The Athletic that says, and I quote Jacob Resnick here, a source told The Athletic that Cespedes uh, has a family member with a pre-existing condition and his calculations for playing this season had changed given the outbreak with other teams. Okay, again, I, I want to go back like this could very well be related to COVID, as he said, but it's about the way you go about it. There's no reason for the way today unfolded. There is not. No, thank you for sharing that. And and you know what? Look, look you know, you, you have guys like Lorenzo Cain opting out, you know, after the season started, and it may well be that he has a family member. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to say it may well be. It is. If he says it is, it is. But, like you said, Sam, it doesn't excuse the way it was handled. It doesn't excuse not at least texting your agent and saying, you know what, there's an 11 a.m. flight I really want to be on, not even going to the ballpark, not going to talk to um, to Louie, not going to talk to, to Brody. Hey, agent, you know, three-word text, I freaking quit. That's all you have to do. How I'll about your words. former agent? Right. Opting out, two words, all you have to do, opting out. Send it to your agent and get on the plane and go home. Everybody knows what happened. Fine, fine. You know, it, but it's just it was still handled very poorly regardless of the reason. And look, Lorenzo Cain opted out. He didn't do it like that, you know. There's no reason why Cespedes had to do it that way. But thank you for sharing that. So, you know, I think we, we've touched on the bullpen. We've touched on the, the lack of timely hitting. I do want to set you guys up for one more, a couple more points, actually. Um, all right, so we'll wheel this one around. We'll start with, uh, with Sam on this, and we'll go to Jeff and Mike. We'll do the same rotation. And I'd like to talk about the Mets' off-season acquisitions um, and what they're not getting. So Rick Porcello, um, you know, w- when you have a four-inning start and that's a, a 100% improvement over your previous start, that's not good. That shows you're not lasting very long. He was absolutely shelled by the Braves last Sunday night. A little bit better Friday night, not much. Um, but, you know, so Porcello, two starts. We'll give him an F in the first one and a, and a C- minus in the second one. Waka was great in his first start. He was not good last night. Um, and then Batances has an ERA of 15 right now. Now, I know it's a very small sample size. I say that half in jest, but that is true. He has an ERA of 15. Um, so if you look at the Mets' key acquisitions in the offseason, two rotation pieces, yes, one was expected to be a long, a long man, but, um, but okay, you know, you had some injuries, okay, fine. You have the two rotation guys and you have Batances, and you're getting, other than the one start by Waka, you're getting very little, and some could say nothing out of these guys. So let's talk a little bit about the Mets' offseason acquisitions, small sample size notwithstanding, Sam Go. I give Waka a lot of credit for last night, actually, because uh, there were a lot of bloopers there. There were a lot of bleeders. And he also ended up saving a little bit of the bullpen. And then we're, we're not talking about Killamay right now, but pretty solid de- debut. Um, but outside of that, I, I, you know, Porcello uh, settled down. Like, you you got to say, even though, you, like you said, it was a C-minus, uh, he had a much better – Rick Porcello is not the reason they lost that game last, uh, on Friday night, excuse me. Um, and, and, again, like I, I was telling Mike earlier this, the starting pitching, and especially with the, the uh, emergence of David Peterson, 
Um, the the one I'm most worried about right now because they're you know Rick Porcello and Michael Walker are the back end of the bullpen, and to, to be perfectly honest, I still don't like other than the fact that Rick Porcello got blown out. I still don't think. I think that the the numbers that we're talking about with runners in scoring position is the biggest issue, as well as the bullpen's ineffectiveness when they have leads. Um, uh, right now, in terms of those specific guys in the starting rotation, I'm really not worried. I was actually quite impressed that Waka was able to settle down and, and give the Mets length because it looked like he was going to be out of there in the third inning. Uh, so that, that's my opinion. I just think it's, in terms of the starting pitching right now, it's actually the least of the Mets' worries, crazy enough. At least through the, the, the first two, two goes of the rotation, they're not the reason the Mets are losing games. Other, there's other reasons the Mets are losing games. Um, obviously, I would like Stroman back, and I don't think Peterson needs to lose his place, and that's going to be an interesting uh, dilemma when, if, if and when that all comes up. Uh, but, yeah, ro- first, uh, first two times through the rotation, I'm actually okay with everything going on. There's a lot of other reasons why I'm as frustrated as I am. Fair enough. All right, Mets offseason acquisitions. Jeff, go with it. Well, uh, well, Porcello, uh, for the two two starts he already has at appointment, like you said, the first one is a, was really terrible. The Mets a little better uh, the other day. Um, Walker was great the first one. I thought I was very impressed with Walker throwing his first game, but uh, second game obviously wasn't uh, wasn't up to speed. I do want to talk about the Tantas for a second. So I read the paper today that he was quoted as saying he's just not ready there. He's not there yet. And, and he's being put in, well, he's, if he's not there yet, maybe he should tell someone, you know, why, why would you, uh, you know, try to, you know, jeopardize a ball game if you're not, if you're not ready to pitch. I, that, 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 I just can't believe that, that they put him in there and he's admitting, oh, I'm not ready to pitch yet. Uh, I was very impressed with David Peterson. I, I've been following this guy since it was drafted him, what, three years ago? Very impressed the first two outings. Very uh, great against the Red Sox. You know, a little blip here today, but, you know, that's kind of the expected. Um, can't wait for Stroman to get back. And it will be a dilemma. Well, maybe they go with six starters. Who knows? Uh, Matt's uh, needs – Matt is 50-50. Uh, I'm sorry. I know you said about the uh, off-season acquisitions. I shouldn't go there. <laughs> but uh, for Stella, Waka, and, uh, and Batantis, as, uh, you know, I give a, a grade of maybe a, a – B minus C plus uh, just because of Walker Walker's uh, performance so far and and the and the emergence of David Peterson. Okay, fair enough, Mike. Off season acquisitions. Um, the Mets spent some money, not a lot. They got walk primarily got Waka, Porcello, and Batances. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I wanted them to resign Zach Wheeler. Anyway, the off season acquisitions. One of my pet peeves is. Uh, hits versus innings pitch. The three together have allowed 28 hits and 17.1 innings pitched. Uh, that's troublesome. Rick Porcello, uh, he hasn't posted an ERA below four since 2016. You know, so I, I worry. Um, I'm not confident about uh, Waka. Uh, I'm not confident about Porcello. But Tansis, um I'm hoping he comes around. Uh, I'll reserve judgment on him, but so far, not so good. Oh, and if I may, uh, Jeff brought up Stephen Matz. 
uh, and his last start, uh, he displayed the immaturity that I was hoping been out of his system coming into this season. I want a more mature Stephen Matz on the mound. And there were two or three, you know, stupid little emotional outbursts that I want to see eliminated from his performance. I, you know what? Sometimes leopards don't change their spots, right? Uh, yeah. Matt is that way. That's what, they've been working on it, you know, telling him to take deep breaths or whatever, or, you know, the different things that he could do, tug at his hat, I guess, was one of the things, you know, to calm himself down and, and not let the train go off the track. But, Can I throw you know, this that, out there? That's a thing. Yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, I sometimes wonder, like, I see pictures of Stephen Matt, and I think he looks way too strong. And it, it's weird to say it that way, but... I'm always like, why? Why is her are his arms so muscular? Like it doesn't make sense. And if you look at Jacob, I mean, he's he's pretty, you know, uh, slim up there as well in his arms. You know, I, I, it doesn't. It, it, the same thing happened with with Noah Syndergaard. You know, where the, these guys think they're sluggers. Um, and I, and Matt isn't necessarily at that point, but I. I'm not necessarily, and I didn't even think about it until I even brought it up now, in terms of what it means, how jacked up he is. Not saying that he's on steroids or anything, but just a pitcher that is lifting weights like him, he's maybe a little bit more jacked up. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 the pitchers never needed, they, they needed power in their legs. I remember David Cohn had humongous legs. Um, but you know, their their arms aren't supposed to be that big. And, and, and I wonder whether that has something to do with it. And even in a more nuanced way, just randomly thinking about it now in terms of how jacked up he is from coming from the gym. Interesting point. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, any of this could be, could be it, you know, with Matt's whether it's being jacked up or what have you, I, I think a lot of it, like Mike's, I think a lot of it's with going on between the ears. I, I think it's he's his own worst enemy, and and it just seems like you know when he can keep himself steady, he's fine, but he just has those moments where you could see it coming, um, and and so well they're going to be relying on him, you know, because with eight teams making the playoffs in every league, I'm certainly not giving up. You know, I want to, I'm not giving up, and. Um, they have to get this ship righted. You know, the next two games are DeGrom and Matt's, their top two starters. So let's go, Steven. All right, guys, I want to move to another topic um, of news today, and there's certainly plenty of it. Mets made a trade today, um, not an earth-shattering trade. They traded pitcher Jordan Humphreys for outfielder Billy Hamilton. And I want to get your reactions to this. I'll give you set you up a little bit. So who's Jordan Humphreys? Well, Jordan Humphreys was the Mets' 18th-round pick in 2015, he had Tommy John surgery in 2018, missed whole season, missed almost all of 2019 as well, pitched in two games in 2019 in the Gulf Coast League. Okay, so yeah, 1.5 ERA, can't really go by that. Uh, pitched two games. Arizona Fall League, apparently he looked pretty good in this past Arizona Fall League. So now here you have this 24-year-old guy who's never played above A, full season A, and had Tommy John, and for some reason they put him on the 40-man roster in the offseason. Now, obviously you do that to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. He's been around for a while. And, okay, 
so you, you think other teams will scoop him up, so you put him on the 40. All right. Well, what did they do a couple weeks ago? They, they DFA him. And so, or not a couple weeks ago, very recently they DFA'd him. And so you kind of wonder, all right, so you put him on the 40, but now you're giving up on him. You're taking him off the roster. Are you doing so with the hope that he'll clear waivers and that you'll be able to keep him? Probably, right? But you're taking a hell of a risk because teams need pitching. And so today they traded him for Billy Hamilton. I don't know what happened, but I think what happened is the way waivers work, it goes by by the league. So the National League teams from bottom to top have a chance to put a claim in on him. The I'm going to guess the Giants put a claim in on him. And, you know, because they're in the National League, and I don't know what their record is, but when it came to them, they said, yeah, well, we'll take a crack at this guy. And so now you have a waiver claim in on him. So that means that he can't go to any other team. The Mets could either give him to the Giants or work out a trade, and they worked out a trade for Billy Hamilton. So my point is uh, people are screaming about the trade. I I think you should be screaming about the DFAing because once you DFA him, you have to think that that other teams, especially a 24-year-old arm, are not just going to let this guy pass through waivers. You know, you have 29 other teams who could put a claim in. So I wouldn't scream about getting Hamilton back. I'd scream about DFAing him in the first place. And, and why do you put him on the roster and take him off? I don't know anything about this guy. I've never seen him pitch. Apparently he throws fairly hard. So where I'm going with this, Sam, tell me if this roster manipulation makes any sense to you. It certainly doesn't to me. And – what do you think about bringing back Billy Hamilton? I look at it from two perspectives. Number one, you DFA'd this guy, so you had to think you were going to get nothing. At least you got a serviceable major league outfielder who could do something. Hamilton at least could play great defense. He can run. Now, granted, he doesn't hit much. and he was, Last year he hit 218. Um, but at least you have a guy who in late innings, yes, you have Ryan Cordell as well, in late innings, you can get J.D. Davis off the field and put one of, you know, Cordell or Hamilton out there. And, you know, sorry, Met fans who love Nimmo. I love Nimmo, too. But you can get Nimmo out of center field and put, and put Hamilton in center field and get better defense that way. So, I don't know, Sam. Make some sense of this, or does it not make sense to you, too? You know, I was just thinking about that, just in terms of the Brody factor to all of this and, and with the fact that there, there's most likely going to be a new ownership in 2021. Hopefully. Um, and I was also seeing some stuff where, you know, uh, uh, our old friend Danny Abriano was defending Brody in terms of the job he's done with the farm system and the job he's done installing uh, scouts to do a better job, you know, uh, uh, basically restocking the farm, farm system from how depleted it was from trying to build a winning team uh, off of 2015 and 2016. Um, and the, the thing is, is he's been depleting the farm system, trying to make the major league talent better, but it's been, you know, it's a hit or miss situation with there, but he's constantly driving out our top 20, top 10 even. And of course there's the infamous Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz trade. Um and and while he may be doing a good job from the fact that the scouting directors and scouting uh, guys, or the scouting team is coming back with grade A-plus when it comes to this draft, when you look at what he's done with uh, 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 high potential talent in get, trying to plug some major league holes, it's 
you can't give an incomplete. You you gotta at this point give him a D at at best, really. And when it comes to the Billy Hamilton and this con- con- consistent manipulation, I remember people talking about how they should have gone after Billy Hamilton last year. He ends up with the Braves, and of course we have to deal with him on the base baths at some point. That's just how it works, right? Um, and it just makes me wonder, regardless of what he's done to update and and bring a little bit more to the, the future, the front office and the way they go about thinking and the way they go about scouting, uh, you have to wonder, based off of, his, off of his roster manipulation up top, whether he's going to be retained when this is all said and done. And he might get the Burley Grimes treatment. He might get the Mickey Calloway treatment himself when it comes to give it, get it, give it, uh, being given a year. Um, but you really do have to wonder, regardless of the compliments in terms of the way he handled it. I think, again, I, I think he handled today as best as he could. Uh, but from the, the way some of the, the things have fallen, and I was just talking about Devin Mezzarocco, in light of the whole Travis Darnot uh, Friday night game and the way the, the catching situation went down last year. Uh, there's just some, some weird ponderous moves. Is it like the, I don't, I don't think there was any reason they needed to get rid of Danny Echeverria last year. And I thought he was a pretty solid uh, piece that we could have used down the stretch to potentially get into the playoffs. And yet finally, when we could have used him, he wasn't there to just be that extra push as we were, you know, starting to have one of the greatest stretches the Mets ever had. So it, it's very strange. I don't know what to think of it. You know, I, I do think that uh, defensively we're, we've talked about how they haven't had a real center fielder, and Billy Hamilton certainly is that. But, the you know, the phrase everybody likes to use with Billy Hamilton, the cliche goes, you can't steal first base. Although they're trying to get that implemented, aren't they? <laughs> Start on second base in extra innings. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. So, thank you, Sam. Jeff, what do you think of, uh, of Brody's roster manipulations and getting Hamilton today and the whole thing with Jordan Humphreys? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? I, I don't know much about Jordan Humphreys. I, I will give you a, my, uh, a, a remembrance of Billy Hamilton last year when he was with the Braves. He scored. I, I don't remember if I was at the game or I, I did watch it. He scored from first base on a base hit to left field, and I couldn't believe it. He went first to third, and Davis, uh, Davis threw the ball into second base, and this, this guy scored from first. So he's fast, but you, like you said, you can't steal first base. He'll be a good late late inning replacement, you know, pinch runner, and maybe he, he's the guy you put on second base. You know, maybe uh, if, like, Ramos is the last out the previous inning, you know, he's the guy who goes who pinch runs for him at second base. So he he's, he's, he can bring something to the team. Um, regarding the, the roster manipulation, uh, like I said, don't know much about Jordan Humphreys, uh, but he has been using the farm system to try to upgrade and, and not letting these guys develop uh, down there in the minors. Although we have no minor league this year, uh, I, I I still got to wait because he had two pretty darn good drafts. So we'll see how that that comes to fruition. Uh, I'm I doubt he's going to get rid of the guys he he drafted, but uh, the other guys I think they're all up for uh, you know up for sale or whatever. So Mike, what do you think? I mean, um, 
is Brody's first mistake that he's constantly bringing big league talent at the expense of minor league talent, or can you make any sense out of putting a guy like Humphreys on the 40 then immediately taking him off and, and DFAing him and, and getting back whatever scraps you can? And what, what are your thoughts? Bless your soul, Rich. You just read my mind. Uh, I got two lists of names for you. One of them includes Billy Hamilton, Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz, Marcus Stroman, Jake Marisnik. The other list is comprised of seven rather young ball players that if you consider the Mets' present condition would fit very nicely into the Mets' situation, as we say, round pegs and round holes. And the names on that list, for better or for worse, are, as we mentioned, Jordan Humphreys, Jared Kalanick, Justin Dunn, Anthony Kay, Blake Taylor, Kennedy Corona, Tyler Batchelor. You tell me which list would serve the Mets better. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, it you know it's definitely a pattern with Brody, um, and he says it. You know he he has good drafts. As Danny, you know Sam, I know you mentioned Danny mentioned that, and I did read that as well. Um, and Brody does draft well. I'm not sure if it's Brody or you know or the team he has around him. But he does come out and say that whether he's drafting guys, whether it's to be Mets in the future or to use his trade chips. I mean, his, his belief is that, you know, he's going to constantly, seemingly constantly take these minor league chips and try to turn them into major league talent. And that's what you do with the trade deadline when you're a contender. That's fine. But at some point, like Mike said, wouldn't it be nice to have Kellenic here, to have Simeon Woods Richardson here, to have Anthony Kay here, you know, all those guys that, that he's traded away, um, you know, he traded three minor leaguers for Keon Broxton, who played, you know, what, a month for the Mets? And, um, you know, three guys who are gone now. And, um, and again, you, you could also go too far. I mean, you could also get into what they call prospect hugging, you know, and, and think that every prospect is going to be a major leaguer, which they're not. But at the same time, you know, you, you, can't, just con- you can't go around with no farm system. You can't do that. Um, yeah, I don't understand the Humphreys thing at all. Let's watch this kid. You know, let's kind of check in on him every now and then. Um, you never know. You know, he's coming back from Tommy John. Uh, two games in the Gulf Coast, Coast League and a couple games in Arizona Fall League. Does that mean he's ready and he's going to send through somebody's system? We don't know that. But but let's keep an eye on him. Let's keep an eye on Hamilton, too. Hamilton's 29 years old, Okay. Is he going to be here, you know, for 50 games and go? Or the Mets, if, if he does well, they're going to keep think about keeping him as a late-inning defensive replacement? There's nothing wrong with depth. There's nothing wrong with having a fifth outfielder who could run, you know, pinch run and play great D and spell Nimmo every now and then. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's see what they do with it. I mean, is Hamilton, uh, is he going to play in 20 games to the Mets and go somewhere else next year? Or I don't know what. But but we'll just have to see how this plays out. All right. So, guys, um, last I'm sorry, just one thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Tyler Bashwell was traded to the Pirates today. For money. Yes, he was. For money. For For money. For cash considerations, right? Yeah. All right. So, guys, I have one more major topic I wanted to get to. Um, I think it's a nice way to round this one out. As we, uh, You have been listening to the Metzian podcast with Sam Rich and Mike, and we have Jeff Cohen tonight. Um, from baseball and barbecue. So um, the topic I wanted to get to, 
I say this with a smile on my face. So we've been talking about how much the Mets are paining us, you know, with their inability to hit in the clutch, with their bad bullpen, with their, you know, investment in the offseason looking really bad for uh, all three of them, basically, uh, different degrees of bad, but pretty bad all around. But here's my question. How much longer are we going to endure this? And what I mean is, what are your genuine thoughts on whether or not this season will finish? And let me set you up a little bit. I've written about this a uh, couple times from MMO, so I have a little bit of knowledge of it. So bottom line, in summary, you know, we all know about the Marlins. You know, 18 positive tests in, in all. We know that um, they went out in Atlanta, and the guys who went out got the virus and spread it to others. Okay, 18 guys. Marlins have been shut down for a week. They're apparently going to start action on Tuesday. Okay. They played the Phillies over the weekend, so you have to shut the Phillies down. Well, Phillies have no positive tests among the players. That's good. And there's even a, a rumor out there that the positive test for the clubhouse attendant was, might have been a false positive. So maybe the Phillies got away okay. That's great. But now you have, you have uh, fallout from this. The Yankees were supposed to play the Phillies. Phillies were shut down, so the Yankees don't play. Marlins were supposed to play the Orioles. Marlins can't play. Orioles can't play. The Nationals were shut down. The Blue Jays ended up being shut down for a bit. Um, And now today, just when it seemed like all those teams are about to come back, Marlins about to play, Phillies are going to play the Yankees tomorrow night, okay, great. Uh, Lo and behold, the Cardinals. Cardinals have a lot of positive tests. No one knows the number exactly. But apparently some of the Cardinals are out at a casino. And so now the team has a lot of positive tests. They lost an entire weekend against the Brewers. And they are going to be shut down for a while. It seems like, you know, the protocol is to shut these teams down for a week, figure out, you know, who get a bunch of tests, and whoever doesn't test positive can play in about a week, and whoever does, you saw it with the Marlins, they literally ship these guys on buses back to Miami, the ones who test positive. So my question for you is this. On Friday, Rob Manfred said, look, if it gets to be a joke and these guys aren't following protocols and we're having to shut games down – you have to wonder what we're doing. I'll shut it down. The players reacted yelling at each other. I mean, there were some players who said, we have to be diligent. You know, don't you make me lose money because the game gets shut down. The players didn't get mad at Manfred. They got mad at each other, as they should. Um, Manfred walked those comments back a little bit yesterday, saying he's not a quitter, that he and the owners want to finish the season, um, and he thinks the players do too. Final thing I'll say is I am 100% sure that the one of the reasons they want so badly to finish is because they agreed to the expanded playoff format, and that's where they'll make their money. They'll have a lot more games in the postseason, and that's where they'll make money. So that's why I think they're going to push this thing to the finish line. But my question to you all will change the order. I'll start with you, Mike. My question to you all is, given what's going on, Given that the given that the virus spreads and you know teams have been shut down and now the Cardinals will be shut down and who knows if this is the end of it or there's going to be more, do you realistically think, Mike, that we're going to get to the finish line here? So I, I I don't know I don't know what we're seeing now is how the domino effect plays out. This team gets affected, that team gets postponed. They were supposed to play this team and so on and so forth. They actually do play through September. I, I wonder how they're going to make uh, a bunch of these games up. Uh, I have my my hunches. 
some some of this is going to get really problematic, and they're going to have to uh, suspend the season once again. But with regards to Manfred, uh, Simon Bar Sinister, you know, he's out doing the owner's bidding, and and their wish is to make back as much money as possible. So uh, they're going to play uh, a very childish but risky game of chicken uh, between the dollar and COVID. It's the only way I see it. Jeff, are we going to make it to the finish line? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievable that these guys are not following the protocols. That uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, of comments on, on Twitter, on social media, that they're blaming uh, Manfred because it's ridiculous. They shouldn't be playing, but it's really it, it's on the players. They, they 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 have to police themselves. They they have to follow the protocol. They agreed to the protocols. And if they can't follow it, they're, they're the ones to blame, and they should be, uh, I don't know, suspended. Obviously, they can't play, but they, they're the ones who who should get the brunt of the uh, criticism. Will they make it to the finish line? Uh, it's, it's 50-50 at this point. I mean, you go, they only don't play through October, and, and you, can't, you can't go weeks with, with teams not playing. I mean, you know, now I've got to make up a week of games. How are you going to do that? I know they're going to play two seven-inning doubleheaders. Don't, don't, don't get me started with the seven-inning doubleheaders, please. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it has a domino effect. One team can't play. That means two teams can't play. And then that means the four teams can't play because they played each other and it caused infection, whatever. It, it, it's, it's going to be problematic. I, it, it might be 50-50 if they get to the finish line. Who knows? All right, so we have Mike's not sure. We have a solid 50-50 from Jeff. Sam, weigh in, please. What, what do you think? Oh, um, I, I'm, it sounds like a cop-out to go, I'm not sure. I think they're going to try all that they can, like you said, to get through this. Um, I know that, uh, for one thing, my Philly friend was majorly pissed off that the Marlins, like he said, took baseball away from me. Uh, and, you know, the, the way it sounds like, like, listen, I'm not one to back up Rob Manfred, but the way it sounds like, you, you have to – why can't we just wait, all of us, be like, all right, let's just go back to the hotel. Let's not go on a boat. Let's not go to a club. We only have 60 games. We haven't been playing baseball for three months, four months. It, I think we can get this done right now. Um, but the bottom line, like, like, if the only reason why is because protocol is not being kept, well, that's one thing. But this is also just generally a major concern right now. And you have to wonder, at what point are they going to go, the optics are terrible, for one thing, and the safety is horrendous as well. Because it is like, whether it's Joanna Cespedes' concerns because of a family member or any other person who has those concerns because, because of uh, their parents that live with them after all these years and they're elderly or they just had a baby or there's an immunodeficient member of the family, there's a lot of different reasons to be very concerned. And regardless of protocol being broken, 
uh, it's not going to be the I don't I you know it might not be what stops this. It just might be practicality. Well, you know, seven inning doubleheaders. I think you know we had Jeff kind of snickered at it. I, you know, it is a little. There, there was one today. I, I don't know the outcome. I know that there was one. The Reds and Tigers played a doubleheader after a rainout yesterday, um, and it was the first one. You know, Gary said it during the game today. The first scheduled seven inning doubleheader in, in MLB history. There was one that took place where game one was shortened by something, and game two shortened by darkness. You know, back in the Stone Ages, but. It was the first one ever scheduled for seven innings, and I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, to me, it's like, I know it's a little weird, but at the same time, I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to get these games in in a short period of time. You're trying to save pitching, and if both teams know it's a seven-inning game, play it that way. It might be fun. I don't know. Have a little fun with it. Experiment with it. Who knows? Um, but I, I get it. You know, From a purist perspective, it, it's kind of cringeworthy. Um, all right, guys, so... We have had uh, the last hour and forty-five, or, uh, hour and forty-five minutes, or hour and fifteen minutes, or hour and fifteen minutes, talking baseball. We started out with the Oenis Espedes and his opting out and all the weird circumstances around that. We got to the Mets and their on-field performance. We talked about some of their roster moves, and then we talked about are we going to bring this season to a conclusion, which is certainly uh, a hot topic right now. So I will, at this point, open it up. We have a couple of minutes left. Open it up for any additional comments on, is there a topic that might be on your mind that you'd like to throw around? Those are the ones I wanted to get to. So open forum, guys. Somehow, Edwin Diaz has escaped our wrath. What's the go, name? Mike. Go with Edwin. <laughs> and Cano. Cano's hitting. Uh, well, today it was. I mean, Edwin Diaz... Uh, the resume speaks for itself. His time as a Met has been very unproductive. And I think Rojas re- needs to rethink the ninth inning and, uh, share, it's, you know, sh- spread the wealth. Uh, have other guys share in the role. Uh, I understand there's the three batter minimum that, well, you know what? you got to be ahead of that. And, and you got to know your opposition and study them uh, a little bit harder than usual. Uh, but definitely the ninth inning needs to be opened up to other people. Who? Give me your mic right now. I'm just playing with you here. Tomorrow night, Mets have a one-run lead. God forbid, right, for DeGrom to actually have a lead. But okay. okay. So one-run lead, bottom of the ninth. Uh, Freeman's leading off for the Braves. Who's your closer? Well, you know, Rich, we come from an age where sometimes you needed your firemen in the seventh inning. Sometimes you needed them in the eighth inning. Uh, but to answer your question directly, uh, Seth Lugo hasn't pitched in two games, so he'd be my guy. Uh, he still has this thing that uh, he's ineffective on the on the back end of back-to-back appearances. So if it's tomorrow and the money is on the line, I'm going with Seth tomorrow. I think that's very fair. Um, and the three, this is where the three three batter rule come in because I was thinking Wilson with Freeman leading off, but then he's got to pitch to three guys, and Ozuna backs up backs up Freeman, so you'd have him going against a righty. All right. Um, and, Sam and Jeff, comment on Diaz or anything else? Uh, actually, I'd like to uh, piggyback on something Mike said earlier about uh, the clutch hitting. So I'm looking at baseball reference right now, and I can't believe that Mets have four guys, four regulars, hitting 300 or better, and a fifth guy hitting 290. Uh, after that, uh, it's, it's, the, the averages are, are, are horrible. 
But, you know, you're batting, uh, you know, Robinson Cano, I can't believe is batting 393. But it's the clutch hitting that's just not happening. And you have Cano at 393, Davis at 320, Conforto 313, McNeil at 300, and Brandon Nimmo 290. Then you get down to Pete Alonso, who, who's really struggling, batting at 200 along with uh, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, it, it's the clutch hitting. They're, they're getting that base hit, they're just not, not getting it timely. As we said at the beginning of the show, you're leaving 24 guys on, on base on, in two days, and the only base, you, uh, base hit you get with a runner in the scoring position is, is a ground ball in the infield. It doesn't go anywhere. This, 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 the timely hitting is just, just horrible. And I'm gonna, I, I would close with Lugo tomorrow. Actually, I'd like to see the ground go the whole nine, nine innings. <laughs> that's, that's your best pitcher, but I know that's never going to happen. <laughs> I uh, well, although Degrom had a complete game, was it last year? I think it's so rare. Right? Can you believe, you know, Jeff and Mike, contemporaries of mine, that we have to say that? Oh, a guy actually threw a complete game last year. Remember, that was kind of normal, you know. Oh. <laughs> times have changed. Times have changed, right? Um, all right. So I think uh, going once, going twice. Anything from you, oh, Sam? I was going to throw it out there that some of the names that we, we always uh, disparage when it comes to who the Mets bring up, Drew Smith, uh, Chris Shreve, I, I forget his first name. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was right. Um, oh, and also the job Colome did in his uh, debut the other night. It, you got to give credit where credit is due, That especially with Shreve and Smith, who uh, we're talking about who takes the, the – position of closure tomorrow night. Definitely Seth Lugo with the experience he has. Uh, but right now, you also have to give credit where credit is due for the the players that have not been blowing these things. <laughs> they've they've been performing very admirably when we've already blown it early. Well, you know, that's a good point on Colome, and, and that was good, because remember, they got him for Azubel Cabrera, and typical Met fashion, you know, they get him in, in August of 18, and, or July of 18, I should say. And, and what happens, he gets Tommy John that off season. It's like, I mean, you know, face palm, right? But he, here he is now. He, he had his 19 to re- recuperate, and here he is now. And he did, you know, fairly well last night. And, and then he gets the ultimate reward. You know, you, you chew up four innings. Isn't it interesting the Mets only used two pitchers last night? Um, he chews up four innings, but then he gets the reward of being sent back to the minors because they needed a fresh arm. But I think he'll be back soon enough. I think um, he showed us something, and I think he'll be back. So that is, if I had to pick a positive out of the um, out of the, the uh, ten games so far, I would say McNeil's hitting, uh, Cano is hitting again. That those are good things. Um, and you know, Franklin Colome, um, he certainly looks like maybe they got something for Cabrera, which is fine. Obviously, it's an N of one as we say right now, but we'll see how he does in future assignments, and I do think he'll be back, you know, fairly soon. Um, let, let me throw this out. We have a, just a couple minutes left, but thoughts on Pete Alonso, guys. I, I mean, we all love Pete. Everybody loves Pete, but, but come on. Pete's, Pete is pressing. Has the league figured him out? I mean, he just looks, other than that bullet he hit over the green monster, his pitch selection is horrible. Um, he just He's very frustrated. Any thoughts on Pete Alonso roundtable to throw it out? Didn't he have, like, four hits on Friday night, I believe? And he thought he was he coming did. out of it. Yep, all yeah. singles, right. And he's lapped right. back, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's struggling. We, like you said, we all rooting for Pete. Hopefully he can uh, come out of it quickly. 
but yeah, he, he's. I, I think it's just he, he, he's. And pitchers are just so much ahead of the hitters. I I, I think at this point. Um, but Pete well, certainly you, uh, not not in midseason form. All the above, Rich. I think he's pressing. Pitchers have made adjustments. There's videotape of him. But uh, you know, going through his minor league career until last year, he's been very consistent. Let's not forget he led. Uh, the minor leagues in home runs before his rookie season to make an adjustment. He made adjustments all last season. You know, uh, I thought he did a, a good job with that. And here we are, we're only 10 games into the season. So, yeah, he's trusting. He probably needs to clear his mind with a day off maybe. Uh, but I expect him to come around. You know, I don't expect him to hit 50 home runs every season, but I expect him to come around. I think he will too. I, I think he's – the. The last at bat today was very telling to me. You know, they had first and second one out. Three and one. Pete worked a three and one count. The pitch was had to be six inches outside. I mean, it was really off the plate, maybe four inches, and he lunged for it and popped it up to right field. Now, Pete's a better hitter than that. You know, he and he's also a smart player. When he's right, he lets that pitch go. You know, he knows I can load the bases and bring Conforto up as a tying run. By the way, what about Conforto's struggles? I mean, it doesn't – he's struggling in the clutch. He's getting his hits and stuff, but, my God, Wednesday and Thursday nights, he, you know, he failed both times. And I have such high hopes for Michael Conforto, but, ooh, it was a head pounder on, on both Wednesday and Thursday nights. Um, all right, guys, so at this point, I do think you know, we, we can bring it to the, to the finish line. It's been a pleasure – it's pleasure in quotes, I guess. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm not sure if the topic has been a pleasure, the topics, because they've basically been negative. But it, it has been a pleasure talking with you guys about the trials and tribulations of not only the 2020 Mets, but also baseball in general. And um, so, Jeff, you know, you, it was very nice of you to join us since you're here. Why don't you give a plug for, for baseball and BBQ? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, tune in to baseball and barbecue. We have the. Uh, it's great guest. The, the, the recent, most recent show we're talking about um, Bartolo Colon. We had on the author uh, uh, who wrote the book with him, Michael Stahl, and that's a very interesting interview. Uh, upcoming, we still have some uh, some guests talking about Yogi Berra and, um, and uh, Jim Bouton. Uh, we have D.B. Firstman, who's what wrote the book, The Hall of Name. So, yeah. Great baseball talk. We had Bob Kendrick from the Eagle League on, on recently. So check us out, Baseball and BBQ. Uh, we, you can find us on any any uh, podcast service that you, that you have. Check us out. Excellent. Thank you for calling in, Jeff. Always a pleasure talking baseball to you. It is time for our last word on this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say Sam actually uh, texted me. I think this is hysterical. This is a special rant edition of the Metzian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike, and I think that's so well said. So it is time for the last word, guys, as we have about three minutes to go. Um, Jeff, you're a veteran of this. You know what we do. We give a last word about, uh, you know, what you're thinking about as we hang up and and think about the next week coming. So, uh, Mike, why don't we start with you? What's your last word for tonight? Yeah, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Mets baseball is back. It's ponderous as ever. Love it. So true. (laughs) Jeff, we'll go to you next. What's your last word? Crazy things always happen in Metsville. So I'm just going to go with, with, with the word crazy. <laughs> just things happen. It's, just, it's nuts. That it is. And what better way – actually, I'm going to get mine, then I'll go to the CEO for the last one. 
Um, I have two last words. I'm going to try to be creative. Jacob DeGrom, tomorrow night he takes the mound. They are desperate with a capital D for a win. It will not be easy. They're facing Mike Soroka. But Jacob, he's got to put this team on his back and bring them over the finish line because they've got to get a freaking win. So I'm going with Jacob DeGrom. All right, CEO, what's your last word? Happy trails to you until we meet again. I have no idea why that song popped in my head, but maybe it was just the hopeful feeling of it, even if you're saying goodbye. It isn't goodbye. It is only so long for now. Let's go Mets. I thought you were singing Happy Trails to Cespedes. I really thought that's where you're going with that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well. well, it's funny because, you know, like, and and I don't even realize, maybe that's why it got planted in my head by whatever Metzian spirits are out there because, you know, he is the cowboy after all, and uh, he is sailing off into the sunset. Unfortunately, it's already dark out there. So uh, thanks, thanks for reminding me of that. Rich, and uh, it's unfortunate that we do have to bid farewell to the the last of of the the Ioannis Despotis era, but here we go from here, and hopefully we're we're, we're singing the same song to the Wilpon soon. Yeah, nice. And I thought you were going to go with Happy Trails to Yo, but okay, that's me and my pun. All right. All right, so with that said, I don't even know, uh, Sam, do you want to end it the way we always end it? Or I- I'm personally too mad for that because I, I-, I honestly, it's getting to me. But <laughs> I know, I know. I need a life. I need to get a life. It bothers me way too much, but it just does. So, all right, Sam, I'm going to let you do it. How do we end the show? End it the only way we can. Doesn't matter. Through thick and thin, the only thing that's left is let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. All right, gentlemen, it's been a lot of fun having. I really enjoyed tonight. Thank you again, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Sam. And let's go, Mets. Have a great night, everybody. Good night, everybody.